I spent the last four years learning more about self-improvement, productivity, and leadership skills that one needs in order to succeed in life. And here's the question. How can we maximize our productivity in this life and leave behind a great legacy? A legacy that not only we are proud of, but a legacy that Allah is pleased with. That's the question. Join me and follow along as I learn from experts and share tips that help us to live productive and meaningful life and leave behind a legacy that we can all be proud of. My name is Adam and welcome to Productive Muslim Nation Podcast. Assalamu alaikum everyone. I hope you are all well in good health and productive state. Welcome to another episode of Productive Muslim Nation podcast. Today I'm joined by Brother Sam, who is a very inspirational person. Brother Sam is passionate about languages and he's doing amazing work in the community by teaching people Arabic. Brother Sam, welcome. Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much for having me. Would you like to tell us more about yourself? Yeah, um, I suppose the first thing is where I grew up. Like I grew up in a small place in the UK called Cornwall. Have you ever heard of it? No. No, it's, uh, I have, it's a small I have been in the UK, though. though, many times. But... Okay. Well, Cornwall, anyone who knows yeah. it um, in the UK will know that it's pretty much sort of just white middle class people in Cornwall. Mm. It doesn't really have a big Muslim community or didn't or didn't uh, about 10 years ago anyway. Mm. And, um, and I grew up in a white mm. English sort of Christian middle-class household and everything kind of changed when I was about 16. I remember for one of my college projects I went home and, and we had to listen to some verses of the Quran and talk about how it might make a Muslim feel and, um, and as soon as I as soon as I started listening to the Quran I knew that it would change everything like I, I knew as soon as I heard Bismillahirrahmanirrahim that it would it would change my life and um, you know I remember it's, it's hard to describe how, how I just kind of fell in love with it like, I remember, I didn't, didn't even understand it, do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't grow up speaking any other languages other than English. And I remember kind of just sitting in my room, um, just thinking about how incredible it was, how beautiful the melody of it was. And then when I'd, like, read the translation alongside it, I, I knew that, that it was going to have a really, really big impact on my life. And so that's, that's kind of where I come from, and that's kind of how I started this journey a little bit. And, um, you know, I've kind of gone from there, studied Arabic through my whole life, actually, since then, really, and now married, got a little boy. And um, yeah, so that, 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 that's how we got up to here. But I'm sure we'll fill in the gaps in that yeah. as we go up the podcast, that, inshallah. That's a very interesting story that basically your school teacher gave you indirect da'wah and introduction. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. You know, sometimes like, you know, hidayah can come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in mm. ways that, you know, in ways that we, we literally could never have imagined. And even, and even you know, like the, if Allah wills, the message of Islam can even reach the furthest corners That's of the true. world, even where there are no Muslims. So I'd never met a Muslim. I'd right. never met a Muslim in my life at that point. And mm. um, yeah, she was a non-Muslim. Do you know what I mean? Just non-Muslim. <laughs> yeah. But my, my teacher gave me that assignment. I mean, I, I don't know if I don't know if that assignment would be given anymore. Like, um, do you know what I mean? Like, it's um, mm. generally when when you study Islam in sort of Western countries at school or at college or whatever, they mm. kind of give you assignments to sort of criticize it more than more than sympathize with it if you know what i mean but 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 my teacher that wasn't the case with her she just said look we should we should get into what the quran is like and yeah. how muslims see it and, and yeah so that that's kind of the background mm. before that did you have this love for the languages were you always passionate about languages when you were growing up yes but never good at them my whole life ever since i went on like holidays and stuff to 
to Spain or to France or whatever. And I saw other people speaking other languages. It, uh, it really made me appreciate just what a blessing language is. Like a lot of people don't often sit and just think about what a blessing it is to be able to use our tongues to articulate mm. ourselves clearly. Yeah. And, and I understood that from quite a young age, like because I'd been to environments where I didn't speak the language. I sometimes even when I came home and I was in the shops and stuff, I, I realized how how amazing is it that we can use our tongues and our voices to express ourselves clearly. And um, but I was never good at learning languages. In fact, like when I was at school, my French teacher told me I wasn't allowed to do French. Like I wasn't even allowed to do another <laughs> language. I was that bad yeah, at them. Yeah. And um, but like the Quran changed all of that for me. Oh, you know, like I, I could never really even, I could never like even read books aloud. I could never learn pronunciation of other languages. And ever since I came across the Quran, like Allah has, Allah in His mercy has given me the ability to pronounce half and sad and ayn and dad and ghayn and ra in. You know, in ways that a lot of like white British people struggle with. Yeah, and um, you know, and and, and not only white British Muslims. I know many Muslims, born Muslims, who struggle with those. Yeah, me included. Even Somalis. Even Somalis. Somalis, Somalis have usually got ayn and hat down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you are when you are taught in certain way from young age, and it's really <laughs> it's kind of funny to try to rehearse and change that back because yeah. well, you speak a little bit Somali too, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. My my wife's Somali, okay. and um, yeah, and I do I do have a a YouTube channel that kind of it's kind of started out as a side as a side thing really, yeah. just as I was learning my wife's language and stuff. But now it's it's bigger than my my Arabic channel. It's about twenty thousand Somali. Yeah, Sam of Somali. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's sort of um, uh, yeah, sort of um, tongue in cheek named Sam of Somalia. Yeah, mm. and it's just I put out videos pretty much every week, um, just little stuff that I've learned, little bits of culture, little mm. bits of language, and there's quite a lot of like Somali grammar. You know, there's there's not much really available, I don't think, online or offline to actually teach people Somali grammar. There's there's not really much of that. So so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of make okay. it a bit more accessible and let people know that that you can you can learn like anyone can learn a language. Like if yeah. if Sam from Cornwall from from his white white family can learn Somali and Arabic, then I'm sure you can. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I wanna know like how long it took you to learn and master the Arabic before you started teaching. Mm, yeah, so you know, I've, you know, I, I knew that I knew that my life would be dedicated to learning and teaching Arabic ever since I first heard. I think it was like Sheikh Sudais. I didn't even know how to I didn't even know that you should choose that you should choose like shorter sorters to listen to. Mm. Um, so I just started at the beginning of the Han and sort of al-Baqarah. But ever since I heard listen sat for about two hours listening to Sheikh Sudais recite the Quran, I knew that it would I knew that I would be dedicating my life to it. There was never a there was never a decision between doing that or something else. But I mean so I was sixteen at that point and I was sort of teaching myself from like between when I was sixteen and when I was eighteen. And um Teaching yourself is tough, man. Like, like I, I know in theory you can do it, and there are a lot of free resources for people to people to use. And well, I, I create them all the time. You know, like every day I put out free resources for people to use. But it's really hard to to kind of ground yourself and keep yourself accountable and keep yourself structured. And so my my Arabic learning was a bit of a hodgepodge, really, for that sort of first two years until until I turned eighteen. And I really made a commitment to go to university and study Arabic. Um, I think my family members and my friends had other expectations of me. I think they wanted me to do mm. something a bit more normal for, yeah. for white people from Cornwall, English literature or something, <laughs> you know. But go on, you got a question? I was just wondering, did you convert to Islam before you started learning Arabic? Oh, that's a good point. That's a really yeah. good point. So, so no, in fact... In fact, me me becoming a Muslim was like a sort of a year long process, really. Like I, I'd been like, imagine this again. I'm like sixteen year old Sam sitting in his room, listening to the Quran like every day, practicing reciting it to himself, 
wow. telling his family a little bit because I, I kind of knew I was becoming a Muslim. Like I sort of knew I was becoming a Muslim and I really wanted to like bring my family with me. Like it's much easier to give someone da'wah when you're on like a similar level to them. Do, do you know what I mean? But like I think when, when somebody is like a when somebody is like a, a practicing convicted Muslim, it's harder. It's a bit harder to bring people with you because they kind of see you as a, a bit look seeing the world differently to them. But yeah, I mean so so about so I, I embraced Islam about a year after I first had the Quran, but that was only because I couldn't find a mosque. I couldn't find the messenger to go and take my shahada in. Like, I would have done months previous to that. And then when I did, I remember coming home and telling my dad, like, today I, like, I took my shahada, like, I became a Muslim. And he was like, I thought you've been a Muslim for months. <laughs> it was wow. like, I thought you've been a Muslim for eight years. Because I've been talking about it, and I've been talking about learning Arabic, and I've been like, you know, he'd walk past my room and he'd hear me, like, trying to pronounce verses from the Quran and stuff when I was about 16. And um, yeah, so I'd become a Muslim, uh, but I was still in Cornwall. Um, and we do have a masjid in Cornwall, alhamdulillah. We have, yeah, we do have one mosque in Cornwall. And um, that place is really beloved to me. Like, I love that place so much because whenever I go back, I do the khutbah there now. And um, mm-hmm. and they make me stand in the same place where I sat and took my shahada. Wow. But, so I stand in that same place and do the khutbah. Whereas, you know, nine years ago, I was sat there, you know, 16-year-old Sam, no beard, clean-shaven Sam, trying to say ashhadu and la ilaha. To now, alhamdulillah, I think. Where, where I do the husband. So, so yeah, it was when I was 18, I moved to London and did a degree in Arabic. And, and so that's like a four-year dedicated full-time thing. And, you know, that's that, that obviously, you know, when, when you have that structure, you're invested in it, you're accountable. That makes such a big difference for your actual studies. And yeah, so that's two years in, in London. And then, you, then I spent my third year in Palestine and then came back for my fourth year. Yeah, so it was four years altogether. That's an inspirational story. I was waiting for you to say that you went abroad because, okay. you know, you know, this is a misconception that I had and mm-hmm. false belief that many Muslims have that in order to study Arabic, you have to just do the hijra, go to the Muslim country. But listening to you, I can get this, that you really learn the basics and you learn everything in UK. Yep. And going over overboard, it was just like bonus to you. Mm-hmm. And have you come across that misconception that many Muslims have that in order to learn Arabic, you cannot do it in your local area. You have to do definitely the, uh, move to Muslim. Definitely, country. definitely. And you know, like I like I have a lot of success with my students who live in the states, who live in the US and Canada, because for them, it's quite a long way to go to the Middle East to travel to an Arabic-speaking country. Like for us in Europe, it's you know four hours or something. We can probably end up in an Arab speaking country or three hours or something but like you know so for students out there it's a reality that they will probably have to learn arabic staying in their country and not mm. actually get to go and the thing is is like as as lovers of the arabic language and as people who want to access its history and its literature and obviously the quran and, and other islamic texts really we we don't really need arab countries for that in fact like i found that my arabic got worse in some ways when i went to palestine no, by, no. By, by which i mean by which i yeah. mean like arabic has a really big distinction between like standard arabic which we refer to as fusha and then there's like amiya which is sort of spoken colloquial dialects mm. and there's a big difference between them like it, it's not it's not just slight variations it's it's big differences in grammar and in pronunciation that they are still the same language you know they're not different languages but they're they're very different and i got i found that i spent these two years learning fusha learning like like standard arabic for reading arabic poetry reading novels in arabic and writing essays in arabic and then i found myself in an environment you know in palestine where the grammar is a bit lazier the pronunciation's a bit lazier <laughs> and in some ways you you can even pick up bad habits do you know what I mean? Like, I, w- I wouldn't discourage people from traveling to yeah. Arabic-speaking countries. If you practice. can afford it, then it's possible. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And, there's, yeah. And, and, like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good. And there's a lot, 
on, on, like, obviously there's so much you can gain from it. Like yeah. for, for me, the most beautiful thing about going to Palestine was being able to be in a Muslim country. That 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 was the best thing about it for me. You know the you know the, my my Arabic progressed because I was studying Arabic literature at a university there. But going to Palestine, the best thing was to be able to go to Masjid Al Aqsa um, and being able to live in an environment where I can hmm. pray all five of my salah every day in a masjid, and to, to be in an environment where you know you you don't have to bend your Islam around the society. The society is built around your Islam. Yeah. You know, like le- lectures will be paused if the adhan if you hear the adhan. You know, stuff like that. So, 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 absolutely, it's it's very, very possible for for ninety nine percent of the things that we that we want to learn in Arabic, we can access it from not being in an Arabic speaking country. 100%. Yeah, that's true. I agree with you. And ideally, it would be nice to go somewhere overseas. But if you're delaying your Arabic studies because one day you might travel, you just started today. You have so much resources available. Yeah. You don't need to leave your house. Hundred percent. And my next question would be like, give us some tips or advice. How can we go learning or utilizing all these resources that we have? I'd say you need to pick a program and commit to it. See, thing is, is like when people when people do a course at college, like here at college, we have what we call A levels um, or GCSEs and stuff. I don't know if it's different. Well, I know it's different in other countries, but yeah. but when you, when you have that, you stick to it for like two years and you commit to it for like two years. Sometimes it's going terribly. You might have two months where you feel like you didn't learn anything. You know, you might have two months where you feel so frustrated with it. But you need to impose that on yourself for your own studies for Arabic. You need to pick a program. You need to persist through it. You need to complete it. You know, because what, what happens with a lot of students is they don't really have any accountability or any structure. So they might start, start a program. Let's say, like, the Medina books. You know, they start, they start the Medina books. And they get a month in and then they feel okay nice you got one don't don't, don't ask me how many times i started this <laughs> i'm still on the first couple pages <laughs> yeah so, so those yeah. of you who are just listening yeah you're um, talking about me <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah so like let, let's say for example not picking on you specifically but let's say for yeah. example you had the Medina books yeah like what happens with a lot of students is they hit a bump in the road i don't know something happens in their life i don't know if they get busy with something else they got exams at school or something or something else happens and people often blame it on the curriculum they say oh this curriculum just isn't it's very repetitive or um i just don't really understand it. it just didn't quite work for me but really what you would do if it was if it was something at school you'd just get through it you just persist it and finish it because really like the the best curriculum out there is the one that you're going to finish the only thing that all successful arabic language students have in common is that they all finish the programs that they started you know, it's not even such a case as of like this curriculum doesn't work. That the question I have for students is, are you gonna work? Like, are you gonna are you gonna do the work? You know, and 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 really, like I, you know, I think accountability is a big thing. If you can have someone who you know to keep you accountable, and something that I make a big effort with my students to do is to keep them accountable. Like they'll hear from me, you know, they'll hear from me, and and I'll want to know what they've learned, you know, because it, it's serious business. Arabic is it's really serious. Like in in our ummah. We have a, a starvation, we have a drought of the Arabic language. You know, I don't know, of our whole ummah, what, maybe 10%? Do you think are familiar with Arabic, maybe? Like, that's so sad. That's mm. so sad, isn't it? That only 10% are directly listening to our beloved messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, like, that's, um, that's a really sad situation. So, like, as you were saying, you should start now. And you should use the resources that are at your hand and you should be consistent and stick to them mm. because it's 
it's I don't know what is more important than it. I don't, I don't know what more to say. I don't know what more you can tell people how important it is to learn the Arabic language because yeah. you know it's 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 incredible. You put it in frankly, Tom. Just commitment and stick with the program. And I want to know more about your course. You teach people. You teach Arabic in sixty steps. What does it? Yeah, mean? that's right. Yeah, yeah. So my my program is um. Yeah, the Arabic program, which is kind of the backbone of, of all the stuff that I do, is, is yeah, Arabic in 60 Steps. That's my program. And um, it essentially covers 60, the 60 most common and most useful grammar concepts in Arabic. But then it's also kind of um, like each lesson has about 10 to 15 words with it. Students usually finish that course with about a thousand words and knowing probably 90 to 95 percent of the grammar in the Quran and in general Arabic literature. Okay. Um, in fact, I, like I, I designed the curriculum initially directly from the Quran. Like I literally sat with, you know, Juz Anna, like the last Juz in the Quran, and I went through it and picked out what are these grammar concepts and what are the words that are used in it. Wow. Because initially that's what it was. Initially it was an Arabic course for understanding the Quran. But um, it's evolved into being a little bit um, bigger than that. Like it was less steps than that before. Wow. Um, you know, I did just start with the first book that I wrote, because that was four books with each of the 15 steps in, and that's how it ends up with the 60. And I started writing the curriculum a couple of years ago, and um, but, but now it's grown into being um, more about general Arabic language independence, what I call okay. it Arabic language independence, where when students finish it, they won't need English anymore. Wow. You know, the, 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 the idea of it is that when students finish it, they'll still find things that they don't understand in Arabic. Like, I do. I do. I find things when I'm, you know, when I'm reading novels or when I'm reading poetry in Arabic, I come across stuff that I don't understand. But the important thing that I want to empower my students with is being able to solve those problems using Arabic. So to be able to ask native speakers how to understand this in Arabic or how to use Arabic to Arabic dictionaries as well. Like those, those things are really important skills, I think. Because well, once you do that, your, your Arabic will just progress so much quicker after that. You know, and I, when students finish my program, I want them to have what they need to just be on their own journey after that. Like I'm, I'm not going to tell them that they can only use this for the Quran or they can only use this for chatting to people in, in Cairo or they can only yeah. use this for poetry. Like it's, it's there, it's their independence in Arabic. So the course will equip students to use it for whatever they want. But, um, but these foundations of the language need to be done first. You know, I think, um, I think a, a lot of students get really confused with whether they should learn, whether they should learn like Quranic Arabic first or whether they should learn classical Arabic first. And there's all these different words that we stick on to Arabic, classical, modern, literary, modern standard, Quranic, whatever, right? But that's all so confusing. Like, whatever you want to do with those, you need to be independent with the Arabic language first. So that, that's the idea of the 60 steps, like that it, it will get people up on their feet and give them the foundations that they need mm. to learn Arabic. And how long it will take to finish the 60 steps? You know, we're living in a time that everything has to be quick and fast. And some might, someone, <laughs> yeah, might, yeah. someone might say, like, 60 steps? Can you give it to me in six steps? I want to learn this quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, for people who want six steps, they're in luck, actually, because I have a free course, a free mini course called the six steps. Mashallah, <laughs> mashallah. Yeah, funnily enough, I don't know if you knew that, you delivered it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no. But for, for people who aren't sure if it's for them, um, yeah. I, have like, I have, like, a mini six-step course that people can get and if they like it then they can come on board with the 60 steps but um yeah but to answer your question i mean the resources are all recorded already so it's just a resources library that's there already and um so some students i mean yeah i, I don't i don't want students to rush through it really so that the fastest i've ever seen students complete it is about five months that's the fastest i've seen students complete that but you need to bear in mind that like 
the, the stuff in Ar the Arabic in 60 Steps program, that's like most of my first two years of my degree. You know, so, so for students to complete that in five months, that's a serious commitment from them. You know, it, it's written to be completed in a year. Like I wrote it for the average student to complete it in a year. You know, so some students, as I say, complete it a lot quicker. You know, I have had students complete it in five months. But then, you know, I've had students who take 18 months or two years to do it. Yeah, it depends on, on the dedication of the student. But, but I, before students join, I kind of insist that they're willing to at least, to at least look at the resources once a week. Yeah. You know, because with learning Arabic, um, little and often is better than, than just big chunks of study. You know, mm. some, people, some people might just want to sit down for four hours a month mm. and just do one chunk. But with language learning, any language, not just Arabic, it would be more valuable for you to do three half an hour sessions a week, mm. you know, to do your little and often more consistently. Um, so, so that's kind of the study habit that I encourage. But, mm. but, but regardless, um, to, to, to answer your question in short, it would be sort of between five months to... 18 months probably I, I wouldn't want students to finish it i think that i think there was something wrong if they finished it in less than five months really five months is a push anyway i'm becoming a father soon inshallah and uh, my wife she speaks arabic so we yeah. kind of decided that we're gonna go with uh, teaching arabic to the to our baby and for me it kind of triggered that i have now three years time to learn arabic so i can communicate with my family so yeah. do you think that that time frame will be possible <laughs> Yes, is the answer. Yes. Yeah. If 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 you're dedicated to it, definitely you are. Definitely it is possible. Okay. The thing is, is like with with Arabic, there's two different things that we're talking about. Sometimes we're talking about learning Arabic and then learning to use it. You know, sometimes because like speaking is a skill that that isn't really to do with the knowledge. Like there's there's Arabic. There's the knowledge of Arabic. There's knowledge of its grammar and its vocabulary and its pronunciation. But then there's also learning to apply it. Yeah. And really, you a teacher can't. A teacher can't hold your hand to make you apply it you know like a teacher like I, I can deliver the arabic language to students all day long you know no problem i can deliver the knowledge but but if they're going to go and practice speaking it that that's really up to them do you know what i mean it's up to them if they're going to practice speaking it you know it's um yeah it's, it's it's quite it's quite an interesting one with speaking arabic because really the stuff that as muslims that we we talk about a lot of the time the things that, that we want to learn Arabic for are actually not spoken. A lot of the time the things that we want to learn Arabic for are things like the Quran and generally Arabic texts. You know, like I know a lot of people who are, I know a lot of people who are like serious students of knowledge who don't really speak Arabic. You know, they can read Arabic perfectly and like they might be able to access some seriously advanced literature, but they just might not be speakers of Arabic. You know, and, and speaking Arabic is, um, it's, it's important to make the effort to keep on practicing. I, I think, like I, I've written my curriculum so that it does encourage people to speak. Like I do think that that's something that's important. But um, but yeah. So 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 in your situation, it's absolutely possible. But it would just require that you put in the effort to speak, you know, a lot. And um, you know, and obviously you have the resources around you. You know, if your wife speaks Arabic, you have the resources for that. I mean, it's um, there, there might be a little bit of butting heads depending on what sort of dialect she speaks yeah. and stuff as well. It, it's all Arabic anyway. Yeah. Like you should you shouldn't sort of um d discourage anything because it's all Arabic anyway. Yeah. But, um, no, like yeah. That's encouraging. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I want to finish off by asking three personal questions. Mm -hmm. And I want to start by asking the first one. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful mostly for the journey and for the transition, I guess. I think, I think, um, I don't think people often look back at, say, like the last five-year chunk of your life, the last 10-year chunk of your life, and think about how far Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought you. Like just the fact that he's given you life for that long and that he's brought you on a certain journey like he's 
He might have given you family. He might have given you a marriage. He might have given you a business. He might have given you um, somewhere to live. He might have allowed you to move out from your parents' house. He might have allowed you all of these things. Mm. And sometimes I think, like, if Allah, if Allah were to be as merciful to me in my next 10 years of my life as he was in my past 10 years, like, that's more mercy and blessing than I can possibly imagine. You know, like, I, that's how I'm, I'm most grateful is, is when I'm stood in the masjid and, like, the imam is bleeding Salat al-Maghrib or Fajr, so he's reciting aloud. And, like, I, I just think how far I've come that I can be stood in the Salah understanding, uh, understanding the Arabic. It's like, you know, sometimes I look at our, our Ummah, as much as I love it, as much of a blessed Ummah we have, that I feel like a lot of people, I've surpassed them. Like, I've been a Muslim for nine years. Do you know what I mean? But I've come from, I've come from not even knowing who the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is. Oh, I didn't even know who he was. So now, like, within nine years, like, I, like Allah's brought me on this journey where I can stand in the, in the rows in Salah. And I might be the only person there who can understand the Qur'an. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? There might, be, there might be rows of tens of people. There might be rows of tens of people. My, my son's here, by the way, just come in. I was just telling him, shh. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, there might be rows of tens of people, and I might be the only person there who understands mm. the Qur'an. But, but regardless of whether I am or not, I'm grateful for the journey. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for what Allah has, has allowed me to become from what I was. Mm, that's a good point. Mashallah, may Allah increase it. And that's something we can all we can all use and apply. Look our life and see what we have and be grateful for it. The second question is, what is the best advice you have ever received? Um, the best advices are often just ones that are quite broad. I mean, uh, the best advice I've received is just persist. Like l- life can throw you throw things at you that you may not have expected, and you may think that they'll never end. You may look at them like they'll never end. But the, the best advice, I suppose, is persist. Re- really, like it's something that Allah tells us in the Quran many times to have sabr. Like it's not complicated. It's not. It's not like a. It's not. That's not something new to anybody. But um, but when you really listen to it, then it becomes the best advice. That's a good one. My final question, what is the legacy? The legacy that you want to leave behind? The most important legacy for me, because I, I suppose I have like a, a personal life legacy and a professional legacy. But they're, they're both they're both the same, actually. They're, they're both similar. Like, well, one is that I want my great-grandchildren and their children and their children to be Muslims. That's the legacy. That's the biggest legacy that I want to leave on the world. Like, a, We see a lot of people entering Islam, but like, we don't really know what their children are going to be like or their children or their children. That's true. You know, so like, like I, I really want my legacy to be that, you know, my, my great, 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 great grandson, Ismail or Muhammad or whatever his name is, mm. you know, he'll know that he's inherited Islam from, from Sam, from Cornwall, mm. who became a Muslim. Oh, I but I suppose, like that, that's kind of like a personal one. And I, I really want to leave, I really want to leave the world with the Ummah being closer to the Arabic language than what it was when I entered the world. That's, that's another one. I, I don't know if that's cheating, but I sort of have two. You know, I'd, 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 like to, I'd like to, when I die, for the Ummah to be closer to the Arabic language than what it was when I was born. You know, th- those, those are two legacies I remind myself of every day. And I, I, I don't know if you're only allowed one, but I've... Yeah, I've go on. on it. But, they're, 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 but I say them both because they're both real. Like, they're yeah. both very real to me. So. Yeah, may Allah bless them. Amen. Any final thoughts? Uh, can you share with us, like, where can people find your free course that you mentioned and uh, Arabic with 60 steps? Look, I mean, if anybody just types in Arabic with Sam... They'll find me. They'll find yeah. me. You know, people listen to this, DM me on Instagram. Go to the Arabic time Instagram and DM me. Let me know how it's going. Um, and, and I'll take the time to speak to people personally. Like, I don't have a problem with that. You know, and then I, obviously you can go to my website as well, arabicsam.com, and all the information will be there as well, inshallah. 
yeah, and that's it. That's it. Nice. The, oh yeah, the Sam of Somalia stuff. We've mentioned that already, though. But if people were to type in Sam of Somalia, uh, or if people were to just type in learn Somali on YouTube, I'd be one of the first things that pops up, which is quite cool as well. Yeah. So Arabic with Sam for the for the, all of my main stuff, my Arabic stuff. And if you happen to be interested in Somali as well, then, yeah, uh, yeah, and, that, and that's cool as well. for this interview. I really enjoyed talking to you. May Allah bless you, peace you, and reward you. From all Amen, you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Khair for having me on the show. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure to, to finally get to uh, sort of sit in front of you virtually and have a little chat with you. It's been yeah, really my, nice. My, my pleasure, inshallah. Alexa.